Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We are in the second week of a 13-week series through the chapters of 2 Corinthians made to minister, building on our study of 2 Peter, made to mature. God wants us to always be growing Christians, and God always wants us to be serving Christians. We are saved to serve, not saved to sit. And the book of 2 Corinthians is all about ministry, all about service. It is Paul's testimony of his own service to the Lord throughout his life. Everything that you and I could want to learn about what it means to serve the Lord and how to serve the Lord and what the Lord expects in our service can all be found in the book of 2 Corinthians. Last week we started in chapter 1. Today we want to continue into chapter 2. And I want to direct your attention, first of all, to verse 14. That's actually where we want to begin this morning. I'll come back to the first part of the verse later on in the message, but I'll at least start reading there. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. And then I want you to concentrate on this next phrase, the latter part of verse 14. Who makes known through us the fragrance that consists of the knowledge of him in every place. Making Christ known. That's a big part of what God means when he talks about us being his servants, making him known in every place. Now, last week when we started this series, we said that serving the Lord is both and in this respect. When you and I think about serving the Lord or being in ministry or something, we usually reduce it to our acts of service something that we're doing in, in the community, in our church, whatever, that we are, we're serving the Lord because we're doing this, whatever that is, right? And that is part of it, but that's certainly not all of what it means to serve the Lord, as we saw last week. Serving the Lord is really a 24-7 proposition. It is waking up every day saying, Lord, I make myself available to you. Whatever you have for me this day, bring it on. Whoever you want me to meet, whatever you want me to do, I, I'm at your disposal, God, 24-7. And, and that's also what it means to serve the Lord. And so it's both of these things, okay? And even Paul mentions that in verse 14 when he says what we have to learn is that God wants to make himself known through us in every place, everywhere we go, to every person we come in contact with throughout our day, our week, our month, our year, God wants to make himself known through us. That's what it means to be a servant of the Lord. But then notice Paul uses this very interesting word. He says I wa he wants to make known through us the fragrance of the Lord. 
And that fragrance consists of the knowledge of God. So let's talk about these for a moment. Let's first talk about the word knowledge. It's a very important word. It's a word that speaks about a firsthand experiential intimate knowledge, not a knowledge gained through second and third and fourth hand, not passed down, but a knowledge that's gained firsthand through our own experience, you see. That's why God calls each of us into a personal relationship with him. So in other words, the only way you and I get this knowledge is through our own personal fellowship, our own personal time with God, where we are each spending time in his presence day after day after day. And as you and I spend time in his presence, we begin to absorb many things. Obviously, a greater understanding and comprehension of God, okay? But we also begin to absorb, if you will, the fragrance of God, the scent of God. And you and I understand that. Uh, if we spend an extra amount of time somewhere where there's a strong odor or fragrance or smell, even when we leave that place, we carry that with us. Many of you who know me know I spend a lot of time throughout my week in coffee shops where a lot of times I'm meeting people and having appointments and meetings and all that. And, and if you spend enough time in a coffee shop, eventually your clothes absorb that smell. And so even though I might leave the coffee shop, I carry that smell of coffee, that fragrance with me. And it's very interesting when I meet then somebody outside of a coffee shop, they automatically know where I've been, right? You've been in that coffee shop. I, I remember my grandfather, who was an Italian chef, and he was so, spent so many hours a day in a kitchen, you know, cooking, and especially if you know anything about Italian food, it always starts with onions and garlic, right? And, and so my, my grandfather, even his chef's outfit, it would absorb that smell. And even when he would leave there, you could smell the, the onions and garlic and the food that he had cooked. So we understand that. We get this principle. And so God is saying to us, first of all, I want my servants to spend time in my presence. I want you all to have a firsthand, experiential, intimate knowledge of me that you can only get through your own personal contact with me. Not secondhand, not passed down, but firsthand. And then as you spend more and more time with me every day, you will start to absorb my fragrance, my scent, so that everywhere that you go, you're going to carry my scent, my fragrance with you, you see. So that then people will begin to go, you know what? I think that that person's been spending time with God. In fact, notice at the very end of this chapter, here's what Paul says in verse 17. For we are not like so many others, hucksters who peddle or market the word of God for their own profit or personal gain. We are speaking in Christ before God as persons of sincerity. And then don't miss these last five words, as persons sent from God. 
In other words, people begin to go, hmm, something different about you. <laughs> you got a smell to you, and I'm not saying that in a bad way, right? You, you, something, you, you've been from God. You, you've been spending time with God. You, you've been hanging around God. And this is nothing new. In the book of Acts, let me give you a, an example of it. Peter and John were being used by the Lord greatly. And they were beginning to get persecuted and, and the pressure was coming on them. And there's this great verse in the book of Acts where, where it says that when these unbelievers saw the confidence and boldness of Peter and they knew that they were uneducated, meaning uneducated in their theological schools, and just ordinary common people, they perceived that they had been with Jesus. Others can tell whether we've been with God or not. You and I can even usually sense when we've been with God and when we haven't, right? When our attitude starts to tank, when, when we're not in, in a good place spiritually, then we pretty much know, you know what? I haven't spent enough time with God lately, and, and I'm starting to get in a bad place. See, God wants his servants to not just reduce our service to just acts of service that we do or being involved in some ministry here and there. God wants us to expand our view and vision of being his servant and realize that God wants to use us as his servants in every place we go to everyone we meet. So that in a sense, we are always, always in service to our king, always. And that it's essential that our service starts with spending time in God's presence. We should never get involved in serving where we're not carving out time to be with God and get this knowledge that then produces the scent of God upon us so that wherever we go and whoever we meet, they may even say, you're coming from God, aren't you? You, I recognize you, you've been spending time with God. And in this chapter, what I want to briefly do this morning is there's seven sort of characteristics that Paul gives us that, that demonstrate or manifest the Son of God. How, how we know you and I are carrying God's fragrance on us as we move throughout our day, whether it be in our homes where service starts, whether it be in our church where service continues, whether it be out there in the workplace or at school or in our communities or neighborhoods, wherever it is, there's certain things that mark the scent of God. And so I want to go back to the end of chapter 1 and start there this morning. And the first one is joy. The first scent that we've been in the presence of God is joy. I'll start reading in verse 23 of chapter 1. Now, I appealed to God as my witness that to spare you I did not come again to Corinth. I do not mean we rule over your faith or lord over your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy. Joy. 
Joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long Joy is an evidence that we are being filled with the Holy Spirit. Joy is a scent that God wants us to have in our life. It is something that is only going to be evident as you and I spend time in God's presence. God wants his people to be joyful Christians. And there's so much misunderstanding even amongst Christians about what does it mean to be a joyful Christian. And notice Paul's saying, we're all to work together as Christians to bring out and be the source of each other's joy, you see. Not to be downers on each other. Again, not meaning that we shouldn't at times carry each other's burdens and be there for each other when we're not always on top of things. But joy is not happiness. And we've got we've to separate those two. Happiness is something that you and I can have. It's certainly something that those who even do not believe in Jesus, can, can, they can be happy about things, but that's not joy. Joy goes much deeper, if you will, than that. See, joy is this inner sense of well-being at all times because I know my God is sufficient. It's God's sufficiency. It's being aware and acknowledging the sufficiency of God in my life. So that's why the Bible commands us that in everything we can be joyful, if you will. Through everything we can be joyful. Why? Because God's sufficient. And no matter what you and I are going through, we have this joy knowing that whatever it is, we've got the God of the universe who loves me who will never leave me or forsake me, who will bestow upon me whatever provisions I need, as we talked about last week. And so I have this, this sense that, God, you are sufficient for me. They can take everything else away from me, but if I've got you, I'm good, God. Just don't you leave me, and I'm good. That's joy. That's joy. And God wants us to carry that scent of joy, his joy. The, the only thing that... He can produce as we spend time in his presence with him everywhere we go. Are we a joyful Christian? Are we letting others know, both our Christian brothers and sisters, and even those that don't know God, that our God is sufficient, and that's why we can be joyful, no matter what the circumstances? Because God is sufficient, not because we're sufficient, we're going to see that next week, but because we know God is sufficient. And the more time you and I spend in his presence, getting to know who God really is, the more confident, the more comforted, the more solidified we'll be. It's like, yep, God, you got it. I mean, you're an amazing God. Why am I even questioning? Why am I anxious? Why, why am I worried? You've got me, God, because you're, you're amazing, you see, because I'm getting that firsthand experiential knowledge of who you really are. Joy, joy. That's the first sense. The second Stable. Stability. Notice he says again in verse 24, I do not mean that we rule over your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy, because by faith, by one's own faith, by the way, you stand firm. Stable. Solid. Stability is a scent that you and I pick up as we spend time in God's presence. And boy, do we need stable Christians today. 
Instead of Christians who are unstable, Christians who are wavering back and forth, Christians who are inconsistent. No, we need those who are standing firm, who are solid, who are stable. And by the way, what's Paul say to the Philippians in Philippians 4.1? He says, stand firm in the Lord. The only way you and I can stand firm is to remain in the Lord, you see? Again, out of spending time in his personal presence, you and I gain this sense of stability in our life where things can come at us because that's part of the implication of this word picture too is that it's not like nothing's happening to us and that's why we're standing. No, just the opposite, that there's challenges, there's obstacles, there's opposition, there's hurdles, there's things being thrown at us. It, it's actually a military term. It, it was speaking about soldiers that were under attack and yet they didn't retreat. They didn't back up. They just stood there and they withstood the assault of the enemy and they remained firm and solid and stable. That's the scent that God comes from God, you see. And, and that's the kind of scent God wants us to have as we move into every place. Not like we're unsure, but that we're really confident and that we're stable because we've been spending time in God's presence and we're, we're soaking up that fragrance of being firm and solid, you see. Another scent, go down with me to verse 4 of chapter 2. Paul says, out of great distress and anguish, burden of heart, I wrote to you with many tears expressing the emotion that Paul had for these people. And why was, did he have that emotion? Not to make you sad, but to let you know, to clearly express the love that I have especially for you. The third scent or fragrance Love. Love. I mean, God love, agape love. A supernatural love that's only produced in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. A selfless love, a sacrificial love, an unconditional love. A love that is motivated to clearly express itself to those that we love. Not the kind of love that says, I told you once I loved you, I don't need to tell you anymore. No, that's not love. Listen, we know God loves us, right? And yet he expresses his love to us day after day after day. Over and over again, God is always reaffirming and reassuring us of his love for us. That's love. Love also doesn't say, well, I did something for you, and now that's good for a while. No, love just continues to express itself. And love is emotional. Real love is. That's the way God made us, because he's emotional too. He gets emotional. And Paul got emotional. Paul was like, my heart is, is just burdened, and, and I'm writing this, and as I'm writing this, there are tears literally falling down my face, and what's that all from? His love for them. His love for them. 
He had a passion. He had an affection for them. It's okay for us. God puts that kind of love into our hearts whenever we spend more and more and more time in his presence because that's who God is. God is love. And therefore, when you and I are living in fellowship and intimacy with God, that kind of love is going to seep into our being and we're going to carry the fragrance and scent of his love to everyone we meet and everywhere that we go. Jesus even said to his followers in John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And then he qualified it. Why is it new? Because he said, just as I have loved you, you love one another. That's the newness of it. You've seen me, Jesus said, flesh out how I love you. Now, you as my followers, you love each other the way I love you. And then he goes on in verse 35 to say, by this, all men will what? Know that you're my disciples because you have that kind of love for one another. See, it's, it's an identifying mark. It's a scent. It's a fragrance. Jesus is saying, they'll know you've spent time with me because of that selfless, supernatural, sacrificial love you all are demonstrating to each other other love is a scent that comes from the presence of god into our life and something that as his servants we should carry and by the way as we go through these these are things again not only to be demonstrated and manifested everywhere we go but in our acts of service in our roles in our responsibilities, in our duties as a servant of God, all of these things should be evident too. As I serve the Lord here at church, I should do it with joy. I should be showing my brothers and sisters my stability and solidness that comes only from the Lord. I should be a loving servant of the Lord at all times where they can see not only the love that I have for God, but the love that I have for them. Next. This sort of goes along with it. Forgiveness, verse 7. We don't know exactly what happened, but there was a person in the church at Corinth that caused sorrow because of some action that they did. And the church sort of had to come together and discipline this person, right? And this person, Paul is saying here, responded in a positive way to this church coming around saying, that's not good. We cannot tolerate that behavior in our church anymore. It's, it's affecting us. So we need to deal with this. And they dealt with it. And the person responded in a positive way. So now Paul is saying to them in verse 6, the punishment on such an individual by the majority is enough for him. So that now instead you should rather forgive and comfort him. This forgiveness and encouragement will keep him from being overwhelmed by excessive greed to the point of despair. He then feels bad about what he's done and how he negatively affected the church, and so he's responding in a positive way. But what's Paul say? You need to, just as you clearly express your love for each other, you also need to be a servant of God, a people of God, that are always forgiving one another. Because how else can I bring you all together 
and you all sustain worshiping me together and serving me together if there's not times where you all need to forgive each other for the things that you've done. And the only way you and I are going to be in a position spiritually to be willing to forgive others is by spending time and time and time in the presence of God. Because it's there that you and I realize God is holy. He is perfect. And yet, I am so sinful. And we begin to understand just how sinful we are when we spend time in the presence of a holy God. And then we begin to understand just how much God has already forgiven me of. And to realize that in Christ, when I accepted him as my Savior, God not only forgave me of all the sins I've already committed, but is going to forgive me of all the sins that I will commit. And that in God's forgiveness, he says, I will cast your sins into the depth of the sea. I will throw them into the sea of forgetfulness. I will separate you from your sin as far as the east is from the west. God's forgiveness is amazing. And when you and I experience the grace of God in his forgiveness, then we are more apt and willing to forgive others. If you and I are not acknowledging the forgiveness of God and the need for it in our own life, if we think we're a pretty good person and, and God really doesn't need to forgive us of a lot of things and all that, then when others do something to us that, that we need to forgive them for, we probably won't do it. Because it all really centers around grace. You see, this word forgive literally means to be gracious, to extend grace, to exercise grace. That's what it means. It's a word that literally has the word for grace in it. In other words, the only way that I can be forgiving of others is by receiving the grace of God myself and knowing how much in need I am of God's grace. And then that just leads into the whole idea of, well, that means I need to be a humble person rather than a proud person because the Bible says God only gives his grace to the humble and he doesn't to the proud. So when you and I are living in pride, we'll probably be much less forgiving because it's only when we're humble and then God dispenses his grace do we realize, oh my goodness, God, I'm so in need of your grace and it keeps me humble that then I'm willing to turn around and forgive others for the things that they do to me, just like you, God, do every time I ask you to forgive me. You see, gracious, that's part of the sin of God. Being a forgiving person, that carries with it the fragrance of Jesus Christ. And God wants to see his servants not only joyful, not only stable, not only loving, but also forgiving. Well, let's go on. The next one, vigilant. Or we could even say spiritually aware. Because Paul goes on to say, you guys need to forgive this person. And here's why. Verse 11, so that we may not be exploited or taken advantage of by Satan. Well, how Satan taking advantage of this situation in the church? Well, because if you don't forgive each other, then guess what? 
you begin to separate from each other, and there's now a division rather than unity in the body. And God wants to see unity. What does Satan want to see? Division. That's why he goes on then to say, we are not to be what? Ignorant of his schemes. In other words, Paul is saying, as a Christian, I should be very well aware. There should be a heightened sensitivity to what Satan wants to do. I should know what his purposes are. I should know what Satan's strategies are and what he tries to do in my life so that I can live in spiritual vigilance and awareness. And that kind of sort of awareness and vigilance comes as I spend time in God's presence. I don't fear Satan. I'm not anxious about the devil. But I understand that Satan has certain things that he wants to accomplish in my life, and most of them can be reduced to one concept. Satan is a divider, okay? He's a divider. He wants to come between you and your God. He wants to divide us between us and God, and then he wants to come between us and one another. That's pretty much what it can all be reduced that's his strategy however he can do it he wants to come between us and god and us and others you see so paul is saying if you guys don't continue to love each other and go the extra mile with each other and forbear each other and forgive each other then you've let satan win you've let him accomplish something You've let him got his foothold in there and begin to, to cause division rather than unity in the body. And again, how can then I be a servant that is always vigilant and aware of what Satan is trying to do and to even see what he's trying to do as I look around the landscape of my life and maybe even my church? by spending time in God's presence and getting that scent of spiritual awareness and spiritual vigilance that only comes through the knowledge of him. Two more. The next one is surrender. Verse 14 of chapter 2, surrender. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. Direct your attention to the two words, leads us. If God is leading, that means I'm following. That means I'm surrendered. That means I'm recognizing that I'm the sheep and he's the shepherd, not the other way around. Surrendered. And Jesus Christ, while he was here on earth, was the perfect example of that to us. Even as God, even as God, he came here to earth as a human being, and what did he do throughout his whole earthly life? He let the Spirit of God lead him. That's why you'll read verses even in the Gospels like the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. See, Jesus was showing us, even as God, I will 
I will lay aside my independent use of my attributes as God, and I will come here as a human being, and I will show you how to follow, even as the Lord of glory. I, I will show you. And, and through Christ's following, he achieved victory in his life. We, we saw this Wednesday night from the book of Revelation. Jesus Christ did not achieve the victory through the claws of a lion, as we talk about him as the lion of the tribe of Judah, but as the lamb who was slaughtered. That's how Jesus achieved victory, through allowing himself to be crucified, to give up his life. He gained victory through surrender. And notice what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, thanks be to God who always gives us victory, basically, if we'll just be willing to follow him and surrender. See, it's in surrendering to God always that we achieve victory, no matter what. No matter what. Paul dealt with crazy stuff in his ministry. In fact, last week we saw back in chapter 1, he says, we thought we were going to die. We were beyond our strength. We thought this is the end. I mean, pretty bad circumstances, right? Paul said in every case, as long as we were following the Lord, we were actually victorious. And that's what God wants us to see. God wants us to see if we just keep following him, no matter what the circumstances, we're achieving victory. We're conquering. We're, we're overcoming because, again, our, our victory is only found in surrender. Just like Jesus, our victory is found in following. Are we letting God lead us? And as we follow him, then notice, he begins to make known through us the fragrance or scent from being in his presence in every place we go. We make Jesus known. So many people in the church, and I'm talking big C church, all Christians, right? They want to be leaders. And I keep trying to remind myself and remind all of us as Christians, true leaders spiritually are always followers. You can't lead spiritually until you learn to follow. That's why even learning to follow starts in the home and why parents should teach their kids it's important to learn to follow to follow the instruction of your own parents because you'll never follow God once you leave our home if you can't learn to follow us at that age. You see, parents miss that teachable moment. We in the church miss that teachable moment when we're always talking about leadership, but we're never talking about fellowship. because no matter who we are as leaders, we never stop following. If, if you stop following, then you stop leading spiritually from God's perspective. Because the only true leaders are those who are always following. Even Paul himself said, right, follow me as I what? Follow Christ. Follow. Surrender. Giving up our will and what we want to serve the Lord. 
That's why Paul said to the Romans, I beseech you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your body, what? A living sacrifice. Crawl up there on the altar of God and say, God, I'm yours. Surrender. One more. Verse 17, we've already looked at it. Sincerity. Sincerity is also a scent that comes from God. For we are not like many others, hucksters who peddle the word of God for profit. We are speaking in Christ before God as persons of sincerity. We could use the words transparency or genuineness there. Real. Not pretenders. Not people that put on a spiritual show or a spiritual mask who fake it, you know, the saying today is fake it till you make it. Well, that's not biblical. That's not even spiritual. That doesn't come from God. No, God wants to see his servants be the real deal, that you and I are who we are, and we are that way all the time. We're not one thing at church and then another thing behind our doors at home. We're not one thing at work and one thing. No, we're just We're genuine. We're transparent. We're sincere, you see. And that kind of transparency and sincerity and genuineness comes more and more as we spend time in the one who's absolutely beyond question genuine as they come. There's no one more sincere and genuine than our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's actually what gives us great comfort because we know he's never going to pull a bait and switch. He's never going to promise us something and then pull out the rug. He's not going to be one thing one day and then we come back to him the next day and we get a totally different God. No, no. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the real deal and we can always count on him. And he wants to see that same quality in us. See, Paul's saying, this is, this is also what it means to be a servant. It's not just being on the worship team or serving in the hospitality area or, or in the children's area or guest services or, or being the pastor or whatever. It's not just that. It's that God wants us to literally be in his presence every day. And as we spend time in his presence, we get this firsthand experiential contact with God that not only touches our head and heart, but leaves us with this fragrance, this scent of God that we literally can carry with us to everyone we come in contact with and everywhere we go. And that scent can be described with joy and with stability and with love and forgiveness and vigilance and surrender and sincerity. Oh, that we would truly be the servants of God. May we commit ourselves to where it all needs to start. And that's to desire to be in the presence of our Lord every day. Would you stand with me and let's pray. God, I pray today that you would take our time in your house today, God, and that you would use us to raise up servants, Lord. That you would use this 
time in your house to encourage and strengthen servants, God, to sustain them, to keep the ones who are serving, to keep on serving, God, and to maybe even do it at a higher level than they've been doing it, God. Would you take those that aren't serving at all and maybe, Lord, bring them along to where they're willing to step out and step up and be a servant? And not, Lord, just to accept a position or play a, a certain part, but to realize, God, that we are your servants 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, God. Everywhere we go, you want us to carry your scent, your fragrance with us. And so, God, may that be what is our heart's desire today that as we spend time in your presence, we soak up more and more of your fragrance and carry you, God, everywhere we go. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.